going to call to order the March 3rd meeting of the African Heritage Reparation Assembly. Pursuant to Chapter 20 of the Acts of 2021, this meeting... That's Michelle Miller. Miller co-founded Reparations for Amherst, a grassroots organization that began in 2020 to bring reparative justice to Amherst, Massachusetts. Discussion of reparations has appeared in state legislatures across the country in recent years and has become a popular subject of reporting in national news outlets. But the basic premise remains the same. Implementing reparations involves monetary compensation, or repair, in the hands of Black communities. This funding is intended to begin to repair the trauma and loss that has plagued Americans of African heritage as a result of the systemic racism, oppression, and enslavement in the United States. This concept of reparative justice looks different depending upon whom you talk to. In Amherst, the town will provide funding to an appointed assembly of Black residents who will determine if, how, and when to spend the money to benefit their community. My name is Ella Adams, and this is It Happened in Amherst. Reparations are owed to our ancestors. So how do we make tribute to our ancestors? How do we, you know, not just acknowledge the pain our ancestors endured, but how do we actually memorialize it and 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 try to um, bring about some type of repair in terms of our ancestors? And that is Dr. Emilkar Shabazz. My name is Emilkar Shabazz. I am a professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts. I've been here in Amherst since 2007, uh, teaching in uh, that department. And outside of that department, been um, active here in the town. I served as an elected official uh, on the uh, local school committee for three years. And I'm presently appointed by the uh, town manager to a town uh, committee known as the African Heritage Reparations Assembly. Shabazz is a longtime advocate for reparations in the Pioneer Valley and in the country. He has connections to the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations, NICOBRA for short, and the NAACP, and spent three years on the Amherst School Board fighting systemic oppression in the school system. Shabazz's connection to the founders of Reparations for Amherst goes back to 2020, while co-founder Matthew Andrews sought out Shabazz to discuss the concept of reparations, Michelle Miller and Matthew Andrews connected around May, following the death of George Floyd, a black man who was murdered by police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The murder of George Floyd sparked protests and discussions about racism, policing, and racial justice in the U.S., and Amherst was no exception. Amherst's discussions about the country's systemic racism went on to organize the group R4A and to solidify its mission to establish a system of reparations in Amherst. Shabazz remembers speaking with Andrews initially about Amherst's potential role in the national movement towards reparative justice. We were discussing that work largely uh, 
the idea of reparations, the work for reparations, um, largely amongst us in the African-American community, and uh, as well as with, with some allies. But I first met Matthew, and he expressed a real interest in wanting to, to do something. We began having a series of discussions, and he came to different talks that I gave. So eventually he approached me with this idea of asking the uh, council to engage in a speech act, apologizing for uh, the role of the town in uh, anti-black oppression from slavery uh, to, to the present. The town council of Amherst is the point person for businesses in the area and enacts legislation affecting everything from bike lanes to COVID-19 policies. In 2020, Andrews asked the town council to make an official statement acknowledging Amherst's past and current racism. That statement endorsed, at the time vague, steps towards reparative justice. Andrews wrote a petition to gather support for this action and received more than 400 signatures. He and Miller then began connecting with respected community members to actualize their goal, which was for Amherst to acknowledge and apologize for anti-Black structural racism and to embark on a path of repair. With only 4.2% of its community reported as African American or Black, many people have asked why Amherst decided to take these next steps. A small, mostly white, college-adjacent town with a relatively small Black community may not be what people imagine when they think of structural racism and reparations. But in Amherst, people desire change for reasons past and present. They look at the names of Black academics who taught at the University of Massachusetts, like James Baldwin and Chinua Achebe, who went far underappreciated. Today, still, only 4% of professors at UMass are Black in a faculty of over 1,400. And that shockingly small number of Black professors at the university are professors who historically were receiving less pay than their white peers. Amherst residents have watched their Black neighbors pick up and leave when their opportunities in town were too limited. Housing discrimination was blatantly present in reparation for Amherst's report. And the higher levels of food insecurity among Black Amherst families and the marginalization and exclusion Black families feel causes measured increases of physical and mental stress. Miller and Andrews are two white yoga teachers, and they are surely not the first people to mention examples like these of inconsistency in treatment and racial oppression present in the town of Amherst. But their petition, their discussion, and their research about this systemic issue drove their community to look critically at the past. The state of Massachusetts was the first colony to legalize slavery in 1641. From that point onward until around 1800, Amherst residents, town officials, and ministers openly owned slaves and partook in the slave trade. The petition Miller and Andrews wrote led to a resolution written with town councillors 
to apologize for not just these historic actions, but for post-slavery anti-black racism. Published in December 2020, the resolution affirmed Amherst's commitment to end structural racism and achieve racial equity for black residents. The resolution can now be found on the Town of Amherst website and was a stepping stone for Amherst to eventually create and fund an assembly within its town government focused specifically on reparations. From that point in 2020 onward, more than just the co-founders of Reparations for Amherst have been focused on this goal. The African Heritage Reparation Assembly, AHRA for short, is the town-sponsored group in charge of drafting and presenting reparations legislation for the town of Amherst. It's made up of seven members. Right now, five seats are Amherst residents of African heritage. One seat is open, and one seat is Miller, the representative of R for A. It began in September 2021, and the assembly extends to 2023. This means that, by that year, Amherst should have all aspects of this legislation passed and implemented. But first, the assembly has to decide what that legislation will be. AHRA pairs with a fund called the Reparations Stabilization Fund. There's already over $210,000 in the fund, which came from the extra money left over from Amherst's 2020 fiscal year budget. Since the African Heritage Reparation Assembly is a body within town government, both AHRA and the town councillors control that fund. Amherst also has implemented an independent community stakeholder authority along with AHRA and its fund. This stakeholder authority is called BAAM, the Black Assembly of Amherst, Massachusetts, BAM for short, and consists of a number of Black Amherst residents who make recommendations to the town's decisions regarding racial justice and reparative justice practices. One of the components of this process, being that Matthew and I are white people who have stepped into this work, is, and being that any municipality basically that's working on this is going to have mixed race, right? So it's not most likely not going to be all Black people that would be on a town council, for example. So a really important aspect of this is for a community to set up um, a stakeholder authority, a community stakeholder authority, um, which is made up of all people of African heritage. Um, and so we that has happened. That organization is called BAM. The assembly is in charge of making recommendations to the town and potentially, eventually, determining where reparations funds would go. BAM was technically created before AHRA and its stabilization fund in May 2021. And if Amherst ever creates a private, independent fund outside of its already existing municipal one, it would be BAM's job to determine how to use it. That private fund would then grow through donations from private citizens, organizations, and potentially a percentage of cannabis revenue. A private fund would allow BAM to make decisions independently without thinking about what the state of Massachusetts considers to be reparative. This would empower the group to instead do what it feels best represents actual repair. 
Because reparations are essentially repairing the past and present oppression and violence against people of African heritage, it's important that black communities are making decisions themselves about how reparations are distributed. We can take those projects that the community wants and the community has prioritized and the community sees as important. We go to the private fund for, for handling, for handling uh, uh, ones that uh, can't be done through, through the town. Essentially, this private independent fund would allow the black community stakeholder authority to make decisions outside of the legal boundaries of the town council. Those projects and others that the town is applying for with things like state community preservation funds include ideas like an African heritage trail that would wind through Amherst. Shabazz is working on a proposal to develop a trail he hopes would salute prominent people of African descent who lived, worked in, or contributed in some way to the town. Naming our memories, napping our stories. So we want to name what we feel is important to remember of what our ancestors went through, of who our ancestors, the great people they were, and, and the contributions they've made, and find ways to map those stories in our community, here in Amherst. On this proposed trail, people could walk through different historic sites with QR codes virtually sharing information about the historical significance of those locations. Shabazz hopes town government and the various communities that make up Amherst begin to understand how these funds and actions can embody the true intention of reparations to pay respect to their ancestors of African heritage. And while the private independent fund doesn't exist yet, Shabazz thinks the deciding bodies shouldn't spend the initial 210000 in the stabilization fund yet. He thinks building an endowed fund for reparations projects for years to come will serve the community better because with time, they can determine what would be the most impactful and all-encompassing community projects. I see it unfolding over time. It took us a lot of time to create the problems we've created and the suffering that has happened occurred over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. I think the repair process ought to have an extended period of time to develop. On par with AHRA's mission, the group commissioned a black census of Amherst to collect data about how the town has measured and supported black residents in the past. Matthew Andrews says measuring these racial disparities was difficult because the town had never done that before. There's a lot missing and that's the problem. Absence of data creates and perpetuates the status quo, which is inequality and inequity. And so, you know, that was kind of our first realization that like the town isn't collecting this information and it's presenting a skewed picture because we all have these, I mean, for lack of a better word, white supremacist biases that we have unintentionally grown up with just through living in a society that's uh, saturated with white supremacy. Amherst hired the UMass Donahue Institute to conduct a black census of the town. The study was recently completed and found that almost 3,400 people of African heritage live in Amherst. Shabazz says that unlike past census measurements, this census 
allowed people to identify themselves as Black or African American in addition to other racial identities. It definitely increased the census. Um, I had been working from a figure from the 2020 census that African heritage residents in Amherst numbered 2,300 and chain, rounded up to 2,400. They came back and said, well, your actual number of people who through the census identified themselves as black African-American, including black African-American and some other race is actually 3,400. Almost half of those 3,400 residents are students. Shabazz says this importantly brings up the question of eligibility of individuals to receive reparations. AHRA in the town will have to eventually decide if students who identify as individuals of African heritage whose primary residence is not Amherst or who aren't voters or taxpayers in Amherst will be eligible. One of our tasks at some point is what is called the eligibility question. Who is actually eligible for whatever reparative justice projects, measures, compensation that may come about in our plan, who is actually eligible. We now have a, a little deeper, if not more complicated picture <laughs> that we're looking at. Now begins to try to track and see from the Donahue report, how can we actually drill down on a database from this census that we can find addresses for electronic mail addresses, ground mailed addresses, physical addresses of, of doors we can knock on. How do we actually begin to create a full-blown database that we can begin to establish communication with? The next step is to get the state of Massachusetts to grant Amherst the ability to implement actions of reparative justice without fear of contestation by other individuals and without needing further permission from the state from that point forward. This is called home rule legislation, and it involves granting a local government authority to prevent state intervention in its operations. Shabazz says this legal step is necessary to guarantee Amherst can make decisions that are best for its black community. So this is all come about after extensive research into different frameworks and ways in which to create a program of reparatory justice that can withstand any sort of legal challenge that is fully within our rights as a town to do. On to um, African Heritage Reparations Assembly request for proposed legislation. I want to start by sharing my deep gratitude to the members of the African Heritage Reparation Assembly for their commitment to bringing about repair and healing to our community and for holding a vision of a more equitable and just. AHRA proposed this home rule legislation to the town council at a meeting on March 7, 2022. The vote was unanimous in support of the African Heritage Reparation Assembly's request. Next, the Assembly, in partnership with the Council, will present legislation to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to grant Amherst special power as a municipality to make decisions out from under the state's guise. The process 
as I understand it from that vote is now our town manager is empowered to activate with our law firm, KP Law, who originally recommended this route from the very beginning, that we would then proceed to develop draft legislation. And I would assume go to our local representatives with that draft legislation. So that would be Representative Mindy Dom and Senator Joe Comerford. And then from there to work with them in terms of the legislative process at Beacon Hill in Boston, which I would imagine would then involve going through House and Senate Council. Both of those legislative bodies have their own procedures for for new bills um, to be drafted because it has to then take the form of a bill. Shabazz says this idea to go the legal route was a suggestion by the town's law firm, KP Law. Ensuring the town will be legally on board with a system of reparations helps get the town manager on board too. What it allows us to do is basically what we want to do without fear of credible legal challenge. The legislation the town wants to enact would address inequities and disparities and issues affecting one particular part of Amherst, which is people of African descent. The legal challenge Shabazz refers to, then, could be presented by someone who might not be of African descent, who thinks expenditures of their tax dollars shouldn't benefit a group that is not their own. If the legislation goes through the state, that individual legally can't argue the system Amherst eventually creates to begin repair. With this legislation, having gone through the state, granting Amherst as a special purpose the right to disperse these funds in relation to reparative justice, basically that legislation will say from the state that you're doing this is okay by the state government. It violates no state laws and we're in accord with you, town of Amherst, doing this. This process hasn't been easy, and it hasn't been quick. But Miller finds inspiration for Amherst's quest for reparations from a similar push in Evanston, Illinois. Evanston, is home to the first city-funded reparations legislation in the country, though it's not the only movement of its kind in the U.S. As of mid-2021, 11 U.S. mayors had committed to developing pilot reparations projects to combat past and current racism. Over the last year, more towns and cities have followed in those footsteps and explored reparative justice opportunities. In Evanston, Reparations target housing affordability and availability for residents of African heritage. In Providence, Rhode Island, reparations are being implemented to repair Black communities harmed during recent urban development projects. And in Asheville, North Carolina, $2.1 million in reparations funding support projects relating to criminal justice, economic development, education, healthcare, and housing. 
And while Amherst is still ironing out its action plan for once funding is approved, the point of this whole exercise is to get money into the hands of its Black community, and then to allow those Black residents to make the monetary decisions about what they think will benefit their communities. I just hope at the end of the end of the rainbow that there's there's going to be a, a, a will to move some of the resources in some directions that can go toward making Amherst really, really work for its Black community. The African Heritage Reparation Assembly last met on April 11th. The group will continue to meet all throughout this year at meetings that are open to the public. If all goes as planned, by 2023, Amherst, Massachusetts will follow in the footsteps of other cities and towns across the United States as one of the first towns in the country to successfully implement a system of reparations. For It Happened in Amherst, I'm Ella Adams. I'd like to take a moment to give a special thank you to Dr. Kelsey Whipple for her mentorship and expertise throughout this podcasting process. I'd also like to give a big thanks to Dr. Emil Karshabaz for his willingness to pick up the phone and to help me understand what reparations could really look like here in Amherst. On the final episode of It Happened in Amherst. Tonight, I'm David Brinkley, NBC News. Kent State University in Ohio has had campus violence for three nights, causing the National Guard to be called in. And today, the Guardsmen opened fire on the students, killing four of them, two young men and two young women. The incredible fact that for four students, life has ended. They've seized existence because somebody representing the power of the state had the authority to take their lives. It's enough to make a radical out of anyone. And slowly, campus started to get more activists. And increasingly, there were rallies held uh, down by the campus pond, and, and there would be speakers that would get up on the stage and agitate the students to try to get them excited. And so there was a meshing of that whole Woodstock culture, peace, love, and, and then the whole thing about the war. So it was pretty, pretty amazing when you think about it. In May 1970, universities and colleges across the country went on strike to protest the Vietnam War and the persecution of the Black Panther Party. In next week's episode, we break down how the culture around protests and activism at UMass changed in the late 60s and early 70s, and how that social justice tradition has continued on our campus today.